Well, good morning, Chapel Hill. My name is Ellis, and I am now the associate pastor of <laughs> weekend services. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my wife Rachel and I moved here about eight years ago, almost now, from the UK. And over the last eight years, uh, you've been with us in a journey as we've reapplied and renewed our visas maybe five or six times, maybe seven times. I don't even know how many it was over the last eight years. And this week, I got something very exciting in the mail that I want to show you. This here is a green card. Both my wife and I are now permanent residents of the United States of America. That means we can travel freely in and out of the country. And if you're worried about our kids, they were born here. They're U.S. citizens, and so they have the right to stay here too. So nothing is going to change that unless the law changes, which these days, who knows? We're closing out today our Instagram Jesus series that we've been in these last few weeks looking at snapshots of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark, of Mark's account of Jesus' life. And it's been really fast-paced stuff. You heard a couple of weeks ago from Pastor Mark who talked about this word that keeps cropping up in this first chapter. Immediately is the word. And it comes up eight times in the first chapter alone. It really gives you this sense of the sort of pace that Mark is setting in his writing of the gospel. And as I was preparing for today and thinking about this pace, I was reminded of something which is a feature of Instagram, which is called the the Instagram story. Is anyone familiar with Instagram stories? So a few people, like three of you, along with me. Good. (laughs) Um, uh, It'll be different at the next service, I'm sure. It'll be easier. But for you guys, I made a special video just to show you what it's like, all right? Um, Instagram stories are a feature of Instagram that enable you to upload a photo or a short 15-second video that's, that's visible only for 24 hours. And the way you interact with these is really fast-paced. It's not like scrolling down a page. It's actually, well, let me show you in the video. Let's play the video, and then you can see. If I tap on Megan's face at the top, I can look at her story. And you see that bar moving across the top? If I tap, it skips to the next thing. This is an advert. I don't want to watch it. I tap. I'm kind of in. No, I'm not that interested. I'm going to tap and move to the next one. Oh, it's a preacher I follow. No, I don't want to hear what he says. Tap, 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 tap. Can you see how fast I'm moving through that? That sort of pace is the sort of pace that we're seeing in the beginning of Mark's gospel. It's tap, 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 swipe, tap, tap. It's action-packed, barely enough time to take it in. Let me read to you the the next few verses as as we've been working through. I'm in verse 29 here in Mark's gospel. And look for this sort of pace that Mark is setting. And immediately... Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick 
with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew about him. It's tap, 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 swipe, tap, tap. The pace continues to move very quickly. And this is on the Sabbath, supposedly the day of rest for Jesus. And this doesn't even take into account what Mark wrote earlier about Jesus preaching in the synagogue and, and casting out a demon of a, a man who was possessed in the middle of the synagogue meeting. This day has been frantically paced. But then all of a sudden, we're going to read in the next verse, it slows down. And actually, you can do this with those Instagram stories. If you're interested to slow things down, you want to have a look at one of those pictures or or videos in a little bit more detail, you can actually hold down your thumb or your finger on the screen just like this. So I tap through and I go to this one. Oh, I'm interested in what that piece of paper says. So I hold my thumb down and it pauses. Everything slows down. I have time to read it. And then when I let go, it continues to go forward just like that. Tap, tap, tap. And in our story here, it's almost like there's this moment where there's this pause, where everything slows down for a second. Let me me read it to you, the very next verse, verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. For one moment, Jesus pauses, almost like he holds his thumb down or holds his finger down on the Instagram story. All of that pace, all of the the healings, the lame, the sick, the the demon-possessed, all of the the preaching, the the, the eating of food, the, the, the calling of disciples, everything slows down just for a moment while he goes and spends time with his heavenly Father. Now, it's most interesting to me, actually, when this occurs during the week. As I mentioned This day that we just had of uh, of all sorts of things going on was the Sabbath day. That was the Jewish day of rest. And we celebrate our Sabbath on a Sunday. And as someone who is involved in ministry on, on Sundays and on weekends, either as a worship leader or as a preacher, I know what it is to have a very frantic, fast paced Sunday morning. Even this morning, I got here and I'm playing guitar in the next service as well as preaching. So I was setting up my guitar back there. I was running into the vestry to make sure I had my microphone and everything on. I went and got prayed for. I came out here and got a mic check. I went back and checked my notes. I came out. It's fast paced. And often when I get to the end of a Sunday or the end of a weekend, I feel exhausted. And so I can kind of relate to how I think Jesus might have felt at the end of this Sabbath day. But then... This is what's most interesting for me, is I can also relate to how Jesus probably would have felt the next morning. Because every week on a Monday morning, any preacher, any worship leader will tell you that that is without a doubt the worst morning of the week. Because you wake up and you're exhausted. You're still tired. You didn't catch up on all the sleep that you needed to catch up on. And then your mind immediately goes to the weekend to what happened yesterday and maybe on Saturday night. And you begin to ask yourself these questions. Should I really have picked that song? I really think that song is just bombing with the congregation. Should I have told that story? It really didn't seem like anyone laughed at the punchline. Are they even listening? Do they even care? Like, why do I do this? And if you're not careful every Monday morning can turn into this downward spiral, into a kind of a a mini depression in the midst of every week. 
Now, you may not have experienced it like I have, but you probably experienced it in different ways. I remember watching my dad, who had a long commute for many years. Monday through Friday, he'd go to work. He'd come home, and on Saturdays, that would be him. He'd sink into that mini-depression. Maybe if you've been giving care to an elderly parent or to a, a child or a sick spouse for a season, and that season comes to an end, you think, oh, good, now finally relief. But all of a sudden what happens is you get sick yourself, and you go downhill. Or maybe if, you can, uh, if you're in school or you remember being in school, you've had a really hard semester, a really hard quarter. You get to the end of it. You've got finals. You sit your finals. You get the other side of your finals And then all you can bring yourself to do is sit at home and watch TV and scroll through social media. And the more you do it, the more down you feel. You can all relate to what it feels like after an intense season to have this break and the sort of emotion that we tend to experience with that. And so it's fascinating to me that Jesus, after this intense day of ministry... He decides, he chooses on that Monday morning, so to speak, that preacher's Monday morning, he decides to get up early before the sun has risen and to take himself away to be by himself and spend time with his heavenly father. And I know that's the last thing I want to do on a Monday morning. It's probably the last thing you want to do when you get to your Saturday morning or when you go on vacation. When we've had an incredibly intense season and we finally get a break, what is the one thing that every single one of us wants? Sleep. We all want to sleep in. And for some of you, you may even be able to sleep in past noon. But for me, it's 6.43 before I have a tiny little finger poking my face saying, get up, daddy. (laughs) And yet, after an intense day of ministry, Jesus chooses to wake up early, to take himself off, and to spend time in prayer. Why does he choose to do this? Well, a few weeks ago, Pastor Mark preached about this spiritual high that Jesus had of baptism, where he went down into the water and came back up, the heavens were torn open, the Spirit of God descended like a dove, and a voice spoke out saying, this is my son, I love him, And I am proud of him. And right after this moment, the Spirit of God drove Jesus into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days by Satan. Now what's interesting to me as I studied this week is that that word for wilderness in the original Greek, the word is eremos. Everyone say eremos. Fantastic. That word for wilderness is the same word that Mark uses to describe the sort of place that Jesus goes to by himself early in the morning to pray. Jesus gets up and he literally goes to a wilderness place, an Eremos place. And I'm wondering here if Mark is trying to make a very important point about what Jesus is doing. You see, it's almost as if he's trying to tell us that that not only after this intense day of ministry does Jesus get up early, not only does he choose to to pray, but Jesus actually decides to go back to the place where he felt perhaps at his most weakest that he'd ever felt, where he was most tempted, back to that wilderness place where everything was stripped away and all that was left was him and his relationship with his heavenly father. 
I'm wondering if Mark is being very intentional in his choice of words here. And for some of us, that might seem a little weird. Jesus has had this amazingly successful day. He's, he's shown his power and his might in incredible ways. And then after this day of strength and success, Jesus chooses to go to a place of weakness. And that might seem a little bit weird. But for those of us who've been following Jesus for a while, we know that this is a pattern that we see in our relationship with God. We, we call to mind some of those scripture verses that we maybe even learned as a child. When I am weak, then I am strong. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You know that place that, that, you, looked, that you look back upon as, as your lowest place, your most desperate place, the place where you almost felt you couldn't go on? I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but, but when you look back on that place, when I look back on that time, in my life, I actually see that it was in that moment that God showed himself to me in a very tangible, real, and intimate way. I discovered that that in that place, I actually found a closeness in my relationship with God that, that I haven't experienced since. And this leads me to believe that Jesus recognized the wilderness was a place that he could go where he could experience closeness with his heavenly father. I'm going to make three points this morning. This is the first one I want to make. The wilderness, I believe, breeds closeness. The wilderness breeds closeness in our relationship with God. When we got stuck in England for two months, this was just over a year ago, our visa got denied it was definitely a wilderness place. It was, it was definitely an oremos, to use that word that Mark uses. But yet as I look back on that time in my life, what I remember is this closeness in my relationship with God in a really unique and tangible way, a way that I haven't felt since in quite the same way. I I look back on those riverside walks or those riverside runs. I look back on the journaling that I did, the relationships I developed. I I look back on on the words that people spoke to me and I recognize that that season in my life was actually a season when God met with me in a very real and tangible way. And I haven't experienced him in the same way since that time. The wilderness breeds closeness. And in this passage, we see Jesus choosing to go to the wilderness, choosing actually at at his moment of greatest success to this point. The whole town is coming out to him. His fame is spreading throughout the region. He's about to break it into the big time. When he's at his strongest, he chooses to go to that place where he was at his weakest. He chooses the wilderness. And it it doesn't make sense to the world. It doesn't make sense even to the disciples. Now, the passage doesn't tell us what happened to the disciples early that morning, but I can infer with 99.3% confidence that they got up after sunrise. And when they got up, I sort of imagine them sitting around in Simon's house having having breakfast together. Maybe his his mother-in-law, who's now healed, cooked them 
bacon and eggs or something like that. And they sit around and they start to reflect on the previous day. They start to look back on and say to each other, whoa, do you see that lame person who's walking, that blind woman who has sight? Did you see that demoniac who's now in his right mind? And they start to think, wow, this Jesus is really, really something. Man, I'm glad that we have decided to follow him and go after him. And maybe, maybe they're fishermen, they're businessmen. Maybe they start to think, how can we scale this thing? Maybe we can even monetize this thing. Maybe we can turn it into a business. Maybe we need a social media campaign in order to get the big time. All right, hashtag the Messiah is here. And then all of a sudden, as they're reflecting upon the success of the previous day, there's a knock at the door and someone says, hey, where's Jesus? There's 30 people outside who need healing. And they look around at each other and they go, where is Jesus? See, they've been so caught up, I'm imagining, in the success of what happened that previous day that they've lost sight of what is important. See, as they're there and they're celebrating and rejoicing, Jesus has taken himself to that wilderness place, that Aramos place, that place of weakness. And in that place, he's meeting with his heavenly Father. I think there's another reason that Jesus chooses to go to that wilderness place. It's because success can cloud judgment. Success can can squeeze the strategy until it slips. When we've got all the crowds coming to us, it can become very tempting to do what they want us to do, rather than to do what we know we must do. And for Jesus to remain focused on his mission, to remain focused on his purpose here on earth, he knows that he has to get away. He has to take himself back to that wilderness place where that mission was first confirmed for him, where he knew what he was to set his mind to. And so if we keep reading, Jesus is out in the wilderness place. Simon and the others have no idea where he is, but they start looking for him. And this is what happens. Verse 36, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. I I think literally what, what this means is, Jesus, what the heck are you doing? The whole town is out looking for you. They want you to perform more miracles. They want you to preach again. And you are out here by yourself in this wilderness place. What are you thinking? And then Jesus tells them what he's thinking. And Jesus said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. See, Simon and his friends are all focused upon the success that Jesus has had, upon upon the crowds coming together, upon all the people who want him. But Jesus knows he's not there to draw a crowd. He's not there to get followers on Instagram. Jesus knows that he has a mission and a purpose, that his mission is to seek and save the lost, that his mission is to preach the arrival of the kingdom of God. And he knows he's accomplished that mission in Capernaum, and now he must move on to the next town, leave behind the success, and start all over again from square one. Because that is the mission that the Father has given him to complete. And Jesus knew he had to go to the wilderness so that he could gain the clarity that he needed to know what he needed to do next. And that's the second point I want to make. The wilderness breeds clarity. The wilderness 
breeds clarity. I can certainly attest that in my wilderness time in the UK for those couple of months, that God was speaking to me in a way that gave me clarity towards the sense of, of my call, my, my mission, my purpose. I took some time while I was there to study the church in the UK. And the UK is really one or two decades ahead of the United States in terms of becoming a post-Christian culture. And so I thought, well, what can we learn from the church in the UK that we might be able to apply to the church in the US? And what I found as I studied the church in the UK is that the church is falling apart. I mean, there's pockets where there's bright sparks happening, but on the whole, it's falling apart. And as I started to ask friends who were in ministry, friends who were pastors, friends who had spent some time thinking about this, as I started to read books and and research articles, I began to discover that, that there was this common theme running through all of it. And the theme was that the church in the UK had held on to old methods that had worked in the past, but they'd held on to them into a time when they no longer worked. And they were so tightly bound to the methods and the ways of doing things, the ways of trying to reach people with the good news of Jesus, that when they came into this new post-Christian context, these methods were no longer working, and the church was crumbling and falling apart. And as I looked at this, I began to sense God saying to me, Ellis, this is a parable. This is a story. This is a lesson. The United States has 10, 20 years on the United Kingdom. There are things that we can learn and apply in the United States. And as we got that visa approved and as we came back, I felt God saying to me, Ellis, this is what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to help create new methods or or new wineskins, to use Jesus' language just in the next chapter of Mark, Mark chapter 2, new wineskins into which God was going to pour his new wine. And here's the amazing thing. I got this clarity while I was in that season in England. But as I came back and we met together as your, your, your pastors, your leadership team, January last year, every single one of us had had that same moment of clarity in that season. That when we came together, there was this great unity amongst us that this was what God was calling us to. Success clouds judgment, but the wilderness breeds clarity. And Jesus intentionally chose the wilderness early in the morning before sunrise because he knew it would give him the clarity that he needed to know what steps he needed to take next. The wilderness breeds closeness. The wilderness breeds clarity. And I know there are some of you here this morning who are in the wilderness. And you're probably listening to what I'm saying. You're saying, well, that's great, Ellis, but you don't know my situation and you don't know my circumstances. It's all well and good for you to stand up there and preach those words, but you don't know the pain that I am in. And I don't. I don't know the pain that you're in. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. But I do believe this is true. I've got a friend, his name is, is Marcio. He goes to this church. And he has two preschool-aged children and a, a, a wonderful wife. And just before Christmas, he was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. At the beginning of last month, Marcio posted a message on Facebook to let all his, his friends know what he was going through. And I want to read you an excerpt from that message. 
He said this, when I am healed from cancer, I look forward to one day sharing my powerful testimony that cancer was one of the best things that happened to me because it allowed God to show me that I must reconcile broken relationships by making amends with people who I have hurt or who I must forgive as a result of hurting me and that God healed me from my anger and resentment towards others and cancer provided a means for God to transform me in body, mind, and spirit. You see, for Marcio, he's in the wilderness, but the wilderness is giving him clarity. And in that wilderness, God is meeting him and transforming him. He is sensing a closeness in his relationship with God. I really believe that wherever you are right now, whatever you are going through, that God is meeting you in that place. You may not be able to see it right now, but he is there with you. And I believe that through this experience, God is going to give you clarity so that as you move forward, you may know what is his purpose, what is his call upon your life. For the rest of us, though, who who don't find ourselves in, in that wilderness season, Jesus sets us an example that I believe we can choose to follow. And this is the third point I want to make. And that is, choose the wilderness. Now, life is fast-paced, like we were talking about earlier, like those Instagram stories. It's one thing to another, to another, to another, to another. And Jesus sets us an example that that no matter whether we're in our time of greatest success or in our time of, of lowest of lows, that we can choose to take ourselves away, that we can choose to strip everything away, go to that wilderness place, and meet with our heavenly Father. And Jesus seems to have a practice, we see it come up a few times in Mark's gospel, of getting up before the sunrise to do this. And I I know that for many of you, you've practiced this for years and years and years, and you've got this thing down. You get up every morning before the sunrise, and you have your routine, and you sit down with your Bible, and you read it, and you pray, and you've got it sorted. But then there's the rest of us, like me, who struggle to do this, who find it difficult to wake up, who move in and out of a routine. And then there's some of us who've who've never even tried this in our walk with Jesus. Maybe we're just beginning this, this lifestyle of following Jesus. I want to encourage you, if you've struggled or, or if you've never tried this before, I want to invite you to try this for the next 30 days, to follow the practice of Jesus in this way, to get up early before the sunrise, probably the next 30 days before the clocks change. Is that, does that make it easier or does that make it harder? I can't figure it out. To get up before the sunrise and to spend some time in that wilderness place where everything is stripped away, where you can be with your heavenly Father and where you can receive the clarity that you need, the guidance that you need to take next steps. And I want to offer you a few tools to help you in doing that. One of them is our own devotional guides here at Chapel Hill. We produce devotional guides that you can use every morning. They're written by members of the congregation and you can open up your Chapel Hill app And there's a little tab at the bottom that says connect, and then you can hit devotional blogs. And on there, every morning, you will find a devotional guide that you can follow. It'll take you five minutes. You'll read a little scripture. You'll hear a little reflection. How about starting the morning instead of the social media scroll by starting with the devotional scroll? 
That's one option. But maybe you, you, you say, you know what, five minutes, that's too easy. Uh, give, me, give me something to aim for here, Ellis, all right? Well, for the last, over the last year, I've been using uh, an app called the Bible in One Year app. And this is produced by Alpha. Most of you have heard of Alpha by now. If you haven't, it's a safe place for you to explore the big questions of life, faith, and meaning. And we've got another one coming up after Easter. But the Bible in One Year app is produced by Alpha, and it takes you through the Bible in one year. And it splits up the Bible so that you're not reading Leviticus the whole time for like three weeks on end and just pulling your hair out. You get a a psalm, a New Testament reading, an Old Testament reading, and here's the best bit. There's commentary every day from Nicky Gumbel, who's the creator of Alpha. And he weaves the Bible together in a way that, that makes it a comprehensive whole that makes you understand it as as one story, that helps you understand how this might apply to your life. It's really fantastic. And I would encourage you to try that out. Here's my third tip, my third tool. And this one rocked my world when I discovered it. Set two alarms. And I'm not talking about one alarm that you snooze and then the second alarm that actually gets you up. Okay? Set one alarm for when you want to wake up, and then set another alarm the night before for when you want to go to bed. If we want to be serious about getting up early and spending time with the Lord, we need to be serious about what time we go to bed. And there's only one way I've found to consistently get up early, and that's to go to bed early. Now, I recognize some of you are shift workers. You don't have normal patterns. Some of you are young moms. I remember when my wife, Rachel, had little tiny babies. She was just like, there's no way I'm getting up early in the morning. This is not happening. And she still made it a priority. She found time in the day, five minutes during a feeding time or during a nap time here and there, where she could sit down and she could have that moment where she could strip everything away. She could go to the wilderness, where she could be with her heavenly father and where she could receive the clarity that she needed. So it may look different for you, but take the time, put it into your schedule and make it happen. And we're actually going to close our services this morning by by taking a chance to do it right now. So I'm going to invite the musicians to come up and we're going to take a moment to sit quietly, to pray and to invite God to meet us where we are. So I want to encourage you to do that right now. Would you, would you close your eyes? Just begin to cut out some of the distractions that are around you. And I want you to mentally imagine taking yourself to that wilderness place. Almost picture it. Where everything is stripped away. All of the things that make you feel strong. All of the successes Everything in your life, your money, your home, your good relationships. And I want you to imagine it's just you with your heavenly father. And in this place, I want you to invite him to meet with you. To reveal himself to you. To show you how close he is to you. And I want you to invite him to speak to you, to give you the the clarity that you need. We all have decisions to make every day. And we need his wisdom, we need his guidance. So we're just going to take a moment.
in silence and just allow him to speak to us. God, we know that you are here. We ask that we would sense your presence, that you would be ministering your your comfort to us through your presence, your peace. God, we pray that you would give us clarity, that we may know what it is that we need to do with the decisions we need to make. Do we go back to that town or do we go to the next town? God, we need we need the answers. And we look to you this morning for wisdom. And so God, we thank you that you do meet with us in that private place.